The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the Bowl Betting Preview Part 4. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson, now no longer with New Year's Eve plans because 2020's last middle finger canceling uh, the Texas Bowl, which was going to be the primetime bowl game on New Year's Eve. So what have you... You revised your plans? Are you still just deciding to go down there? Have you got refunds? What's going on? No, Ticketmaster has decided uh, sixty days. I will get my money back. Uh, Airbnb. Sixty days. Sixty days. I've heard some complaints from other people that had bowl cancellations. Uh, a few Iowa folks uh, in my DMs telling me that they were getting credit through their ticket brokers uh, for a future sporting event uh, to buy through their website, as to where Ticketmaster is going to give me my money sixty days later. So. You know, pandemic wins again. Pandemic is undefeated, you know, and we got a Duke Bayo Bowl broken. Uh, we're just trying to get to the end of the football season here without anything catastrophic happening. Never trust Graham Morris without anything in his hands. Sorry if you had Wake. That was brutal. I mean, that would have Wake had like 300 more yards. Wisconsin, I think, had five drive, five touchdown drives under 35 yards. We'll catch up on the last couple of nights of bowl games. Just if you want to throw any comments out there. It's been a good start to bowl season for me. I'm, uh, I think, 11 and 6. Overall, with halftimes, parlays, the whole shebang. But last night, I I, I whiffed. I mean, we I I was I had Miami in a round robin, which doesn't look great now. And that they were the better team. They dominated that game, and then just no turn. I mean, they, they had a, the rest were horrendous for them. They had three fumbles, all recovered by Oak State. An interception that was incorrect that should have helped stood for Miami. Just an awful, awful unlucky game for Miami who should have won that game. But then I had Colorado and the under way off on those because little did I know that the backup quarterbacks, I thought I was safe. Sam Ellinger wasn't coming out for the second half. And then this kid Thompson comes in, throws four touchdowns in the half and uh, start the Texas hype. It's been a good start, but it's all about your next bet and how you finish. Hopefully Oklahoma can get it done tonight at plus three. Any thoughts on, uh, do you buy Texas national title features? <laughs> Before I get to Texas, but it's been, as you can say, it's been that way for bowl season for me. Like you make a good call on Liberty, but then you bet on Marshall and there's a rash of turnovers. You bet on, it's it's not been uh, the easiest to predict of a bowl season, a motivation, COVID sit outs. I mean, think about how that worked against us last night with Texas, right? We were told this person's out, this person's out, Eagles, Cy, every, all these huge pieces are out. And then if I was to tell you pregame without you knowing anything that Sam Ellinger was going to go out, would you not have bet the house on Colorado, especially at that line? And it turns out that it seems like everybody that's in a backup position for the University of Texas 
is a five-star, like, blue blood. I mean, like, it looks like an all-star team. And I have to sit there and question what Tom Herman is doing with his program that you can plug all of these missing holes and look like you should be winning a national championship. Now, I did read that Colorado was below four players below the minimum needed to go to a bowl game. Now, obviously, that stopped teams like TCU from wanting to go to a bowl game. Colorado, I don't know if they just needed the pub, the recruiting, whatever money's associated. I, I don't know why Colorado would play, even though they fell below the standard. But, I mean, to, to look at Texas's second and third string, do what they did. The hype has already started. <laughs> By the way, sarcasm font. The win total is not going to be 12, and the national championship odds are not going to be minus 150. But stuck, we've been through this before. The hype is going to be insane in the spring. The national championship talk is going to be in July. The Herman train, he's going to bulldoze his kids in August, probably play the wrong people. Uh, you know, we've been here before. So, yeah, Texas will be good next year, but they, they should be good considering the their backyard, which they get to pluck recruits from. They, what they showed last night is what they should always be. The prairie skies are wide and high, deep in the heart of Texas. Yeah, I mean, look, I have to give Texas credit. Sometimes you try and they, they showed up from the start and uh, Herman wins another bowl. And yeah, it's 2020. You're going to have some great, some absolutely spectacular bowl calls. You're going to get breaks that go your way. You're going to have people that sit out on the other team. You're going to have some clunkers. You just have to accept that. That's usually the case in bowl season, but especially this year. Uh, all right, so let's get to this weekend. We have six additional bowls to get to and the two college football playoff semifinals, which we'll get to at the end. Uh, let's start on Friday, January 1st, 2021. Ah! Hopefully we can start out 2021 with a winner. All right. We're starting off noon Eastern on ESPN seven and two Georgia ranked eighth against Cincinnati, maybe slighted Cincinnati. This is the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl at BetMGM right now. Georgia's a a six-and-a-half-point favorite over under 50-and-a-half. This game noon Eastern on ESPN in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. When I look at this game, there's a couple questions that I have that maybe you could help me answer. Uh, I took the plus seven with – Cincinnati. I I think that they're going to come here fired up. Uh, Fickle always has his team ready. Marcus Freeman with some time to prep with this defense, and this defense is very good. This three three five. It's it's number two in pass efficiency defense. You have a Gardner and Bryant at corner. You have three really good safeties in Hicks, Forrest, and Wiggins, and they're really stout up front too. They can get pressure on the edge without even blitzing, but they will blitz. They'll play a lot of press man on the outside. You know, Sanders and Ponder off the edge are great. Their linebackers are just really solid, a little undersized, but they don't really make mistakes in White, DeBlanco, and Van Rinkle. It's just a really good defense and well-coached. And Marcus Freeman will probably come up with a new wrinkle here with time to prepare, as he normally does. He's one of my favorite coordinators in college football. They run a 3-3-5, or they've ran a 3-3-5 for most of the year. I think in the AAC championship, they were a little fatigued and rusty. They were off for a while without COVID, so I think a lot of that – will go away and they will be going up against a Georgia offense that has seemingly found its footing with JT Daniels at quarterback. I mean, this is a Georgia offense that was very underwhelming with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. But the question is with JT Daniels, he, what he threw for like 800 and 
38 yards, nine touchdowns, and one interception in three games. And he can push the ball down the field more so than Ben. And that's what you have to do against the Cincy teams. You're going to play press man on the outside. You have to beat them deep. But he, the question is, is Daniels in this offense for real, or is it more of a factor of who they played? You know, they played Missouri 91st in pass efficiency defense. South Carolina 118th. Miss State 82nd. Cincy number two. This is obviously a big step up. Georgia's defense, three-man front, Davis, Herring, Wyatt up front. They don't get a ton of pressure or fill up the statue, but they plug holes. They take up blocks, and they open up space for Georgia's linebackers, mainly Monty Rice, but he's out. There's also a lot of other opt-outs with Georgia. Trey Hill, Ben Cleveland. Trey Hill's been out with an injury, but Ben Cleveland is going to play in the NFL. They're starting guard. He's out. Their corners, Eric Stokes and DJ Daniel. Both are out, so you're basically just going to have one normal starter and someone new uh, in that uh, at on, at corner for Georgia. Jermaine Johnson second in sacks, he's out. It does look like Ojulorle will play, who leads the team in sacks. LeCount, their star safety, he's going to try and come back. I, I think I imagine that he'll be limited. But basically, when I look at this game, I think that since he's going to play the disrespect card, they're going to show up. Does Georgia two years ago with some of the opt outs they came out flat? Last year, they had some off. That's not this many. And they were able to win and beat Baylor. What this comes down to, to me, is can Cincinnati, can Des, because Georgia's run defense is excellent. And they're built to stop like a power run game. Their pass, pass defense hasn't been that great. And now they have guys out. Can Desmond Ritter in this RPO and intermediate passing attack attack this Georgia secondary? And on the flip side, can JT Daniels beat this Cincinnati defense deep? I think there's value in the number, the opt-outs for Georgia. I knew they were coming. So I took Cincy plus seven. I like them at seven or above. I think they'll have a shot to win this game. What say you? Yeah, seven is the number that you want. I think Cincy is the side that you want. You know, Desmond Ritter has been explosive both with his legs and through the air. And you're going to have success against Georgia, who's 81st uh, in the country in defensive passing success rate. And Richard LeCount is the biggest name that you mentioned there. He's out, was out with a concussion, talk of maybe he'll play in this game. I can't understand why he would, considering, you know, if he's not cleared from concussion protocol, so we'll see. But there's just a, a lot of loss on the Georgia side of the football with the defense, and I think that plays into Desmond Ritter, who's been just a, a one-man wrecking crew through AAC play. And that kind of brings up the point of strength of schedule. Like Cincinnati's strength of schedule is 81st, Georgia's is 7th. So when you throw out the stats like, Cincinnati's 13th in finishing drives. You got to consider the competition that they went up against. Despite all of that, I think Cincinnati is going to cover this game. But I think the sneaky play on this is the over. You think of Cincinnati, you think one of the best defenses, definitely the best defense in the group of five. You think of Georgia, they were being branded as the best defense in the country leading into that Alabama game. Uh, But if you go up against these two, what they've done recent, recent games, Georgia's gone over in six of their last seven games. Cincinnati's gone over in four of their last five. Now on the Georgia side, that's all JT Daniels. JT Daniels' last three games, I mean, he is getting better and better, more health. I mean, I guess now we can see the reason why it took so long to get him in. Uh, And Stetson Bennett had to play in that Alabama game. What would life be like if he was there for Florida, if he was there fully healthy for Alabama? I guess we'll have to wait next year and see. And frankly, this is a big game for me to watch JT Daniels to assess what the Georgia futures are going to be next year. I'm not really sure how much the run ratio is going to be on the Georgia side. They did run at 57% throughout the year, uh, but the tendency has kind of fallen to the pass uh, since JT Daniels has gotten more healthy. And I think they're going to have success there. 
throwing through there. I think both teams are going to have success with explosive plays. Retractable roof going to be closed. There is rain in the area, but it's retractable roof is going to be closed or whatever that thing is. It's not a retractable roof. It's kind of like a portal looking thing, but uh, should be a fast track. And I think that plays into some scores, uh, some explosiveness coming from both offenses. The, the defensive numbers for Cincinnati, I mean, they, they, they can be scored on. I know their pass coverage grade is, is second, and I know their finishing drives on defense is seventh. But you got to look at the slate of offenses they've gone up against. It just it hasn't been a real dynamic set of you know of explosive weapons. And this is a huge, I mean, size wise, physicality. This is something Cincinnati may not be prepared for. My favorite play in this game is the over. I like Cincinnati to keep up with Georgia every step of the way. Yeah, I mean, Cincinnati does face some good passing offenses in the AAC at least. Right. I, I I'm really interested to see what Freeman draws up here. There is a chance that Georgia just doesn't show up. Um, I think that they will from everything that I've read. Look, they're playing Cincinnati, a group of five team. They don't want to be embarrassed. But we've seen the SEC teams after disappointing years lose in this spot to Central Florida, uh, another AAC team. So I think that I know that Cincy will show up with something to prove. There's a slight chance that Georgia just kind of goes through the motions. That has to work in Cincy's favor as well. The mindset, though, you got to remember the mindset with these SEC teams. LSU played Central Florida last year, or I'm sorry, two years ago, and beats the living shit out of them. And why is that? Because LSU wasn't expected to go to the SEC championship. They didn't lose the SEC championship game. They didn't have any expectations coming in other than hearing that Central Florida was the greatest team in the history of non Power Five schools, and LSU beat them and covered the spread. Now, when Georgia or any other SEC team loses their conference championship game, and then they end up going to these New Year's Six games, they suck. I mean, they get beat. They get. They can't win games. They can't cover. They can't do anything, as we, you and I are talking right before the Florida kick. These SEC championship game losers are the ones that are given the bad rap. These teams that don't have SEC championship expectations, like Georgia is in this case, should show up, and they have in the past. Yeah, Kirby Smart, two years ago, when they got – drilled by Texas. They had a bunch of guys that there were a couple of guys that sat out that came with the team. And then last year, another disappointing year and at the end of the season, they, when they beat Baylor, they had a couple guys sit out, but he got them away from the team. And he did that again this year. Yep. And I think that that's his approach, uh, which works for the better for just the entire mindset of the team. So it should be a fun one. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. All right, let's move on and stay on Friday, and we'll go to another SEC team. You're going to have to drink for this one, right? I mean, I'm going to be at least a bottle of champagne deep to watch Northwestern-Auburn play offense. Yeah, this is going to be ugly. Northwestern-Auburn in the Citrus Bowl, Camping World Stadium, Orlando, Florida, 1 p.m. Eastern on ABC at BetMGM right now. Northwestern's a three-point favorite over under 43 and a half. There are some opt-outs actually on both sides on Northwestern to their number one corner, Greg Newsom. Wasn't he first team all? I think it was first team all American. Yeah. He won't play. One of their best pass rushers won't play and potentially their best receiver. They also use in the running game. He entered the transfer portal. And then on the Auburn side, you have three recent opt-outs in safety, Jamie and Sherwood, 
wide receiver Anthony Schwartz. He's kind of the burner. And then they're starting nickel back, Christian Tutt. They're all out. Northwestern, their defense has been very good, especially their their pass coverage, but they will be without Newsom, which is worth noting. But their their other players in the secondary have been very good all year. I think the only team that scored over 22 points against them all year was Michigan State. That's pretty crazy considering they played Ohio State. Defense has been really good. The offense has been disgusting. There's nothing good you can say about this offense. They're a little better than last year with Peyton Ramsey. He's, the efficiency in the passing game is a little better, but they can't run the ball. There's no explosiveness, nothing downfield. The offensive line isn't great. Uh, it's just Ramsey can, you know, quick pass and sustain some drives. That's basically it. But the defense is excellent. They're going to be great in the red zone. As normal, they're going to ugly up, muck up games, find a way to stay in games and try to find a way to win late. That's the path of Sherrod Wet. Auburn interim coach here. Kevin Steele, their defensive coordinator, because Gus Malzahn is gone. Bo Nix season in full effect. Bo Nix season in full effect. The offense for Auburn has been okay on the ground. Lacking through the air. Bo Nix has not had a great year, but he can use his legs. Tank Bigsby can use his legs. And if you're going to move the ball in this Northwestern defense, you have to do it on the ground. So how much success can Auburn have there? Because rewind back to the Big Ten Championship. Trey Sermon, what, ran for 300 yards against Northwestern? That's how you have to beat this team, uh, especially when you have an anemic passing attack like Auburn. Maybe Seth Williams can have a day without Greg Newsom out there, but you just can't really rely on this Auburn passing attack, especially against a good pass defense like Northwestern. What do you see here? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is, like, who's calling the plays for Auburn, right? Gus Malzahn's out. Chad Morris is out. Kevin Steele, uh, interim coach for this. Uh, we're in a lame duck situation with Brian Harson coming in from Boise. Uh, I, I think the players are, you know, probably in the mindset that they got to show off for their new coach, or maybe they're competing for spots. It was a tough year for Auburn in the first place, replacing everybody in the trench on both sides of the ball. So they were immediately behind the eight ball when it comes to, you know, trying to build from, you know, the trench out in the SEC, which you really kind of have to do. Auburn was always in trouble. And now with shorts, not there that it really, uh, you know, puts focus on the other weapons that Bonix has. Northwestern is good at making you look bad on offense. It's what they did to Justin Fields without Chris Olave. Fields at times could not find some of his other targets. And, uh, you know, Northwestern's been pretty good at coming up clutch when their backs are up against the end zone. Problem is the offense is just absolutely disgusting. And so the question should be at Camping World Stadium, are we going to take an under on a game, you know, this early in the day on New Year's Day with a number, you know, so low at 43? I project a number of 48, but I mean, we're really looking at a special teams play, which Auburn is 22nd special teams, or we're looking at an Oski, a pick six, uh, you know, getting taken back and, and scoring from that route. I mean, this it's really tough for me. I know that Auburn is fantastic at tackling. Northwestern is not. I think there's a motivation factor here. I'm not sure Auburn's players want to be here. And Northwestern, on the other hand, I mean, Pat's cats, he's going to have them riled up, ready to go. Mm. Cats, cats. As far as the side, I make the game a coin flip. So, you know, I would absolutely end up taking the dog here. I think points are, you know, definitely at a premium in this game, which makes sadly taking Auburn the side. I projected it one and a half for Northwestern to be the favorite. So three and a half is a little bit high. Uh, but for me, I don't know how you don't take an under. I would take a first half under here. Absolutely. I don't know who is scoring points. If you look at the advanced numbers, Auburn has a third strength of schedule, Northwestern 29th, really short 
really short schedule there in, in the Big Ten for Northwestern. Not much to lean back on, but there are things that we can see that Northwestern's really bad at. One of them is line yards, 120. That's almost dead last in the nation. They can't rush the ball whatsoever. They're good at protecting Peyton Ramsey. They're not really good at getting the ball past 10 yards down the field. So I don't see a route for a ton of points. I'd love to make the case for the over. Uh, the only way I can make the case for the over is if there's turnovers or if there's special teams, and that's almost impossible to handicap. So I'm going to stick with the first half under. I, I still don't know who's calling the plays for Auburn. Like, I, <laughs> literally, Chad Morris, Gus Malzahn out. What is the playbook going to be? You know, missing Schwartz. I mean, there's part of your uh, your screen pass. Uh, most most of the targets in your screen pass game are gone. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen on Auburn's offensive side. But I do know that Northwestern is incapable of scoring points. And take this. I mean, we're not – this isn't a podcast that relies on trends or anything. But these teams, they combined this year to go a 3-15 and 15 <laughs> to the over. Three of the 18 games these, these teams were involved in went over the total. Auburn more specifically, they never went over the total away from home. They never went over the total away from Jordan-Hare. Northwestern 1-7 uh, and seven on the season to the over. So, uh, you know, these are two extremely under teams uh, considering the day of the year it's being played on and the early earliness in the day and there's no offensive coordinator around. I'm just taking a I'm blindly taking a first half under. Yeah, I think Northwestern's going to miss McGowan, too. I mean, he's their second leading receiver. They use him in the run game as well. I think he carried like 25 times, six yards of carry. But the difference here for Northwestern could, have, could end up being third downs. Now, they – you know, the reason that the sack numbers are good, they're just a quick passing attack. Ramsey can be a decently efficient in that department. Auburn's third down defense is horrendous, giving up conversions on 50% of opponent attempts. And Northwestern's defense, as you might expect on third downs, is a lot better. Uh, so will Northwestern be able, with that short passing attack, be able to sustain drives a little better than Auburn? That could end up being the difference. If you hate bowl games, go listen to NPR. All right, we have two college football playoff games on Friday as well. Uh, unfortunately, the appetizers, Auburn Northwestern, at least Georgia Cincinnati is a good appetizer, and they're kind of simultaneous. But we'll come back to those. Let's get let's cross off. We'll go pretty quickly through the four bowls on Saturday. We will start Saturday at noon in the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, NC State against Kentucky at. TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville, Florida, noon Eastern on ESPN. Uh, these teams met once back in the 70s. Kentucky won 27 to 2. Uh, it's a pretty trying season for Kentucky. Just a, a lot of really emotional things happening, losing a coach, a medical kid, medical diagnosis, just a lot, a lot of emotional things they've had to deal with in a COVID year. There was talk that they weren't going to accept the bowl, but they did. Um, they will play NC State. They're seeking their third straight bowl victory. And the records in here, don't be fooled by the records. Kentucky's four and six. They're two and a half point favorites at BetMGM over under 50 and a half. NC State's eight and three. Uh, well, Kentucky, four of their six losses came against teams in the top eight of the final college football playoff rankings. NC State, who last made a bowl in 2018, actually here at the Gator Bowl, they got drilled by Texas A&M. Who have they really beat? Liberty is their best win. They should have lost. Uh, they they've they're four and zero in one possession games. I think their average winning margin is like plus one point. So they've won a lot of close games. They've beat up on the bottom of the barrel in the ACC. Uh, I'm not a fan of this team. Now, what you should be a fan of with NC State is 
their defensive line. They play a unique 3-3-5 defense. They're going to blitz from all over. Ali McNeil is a monster at nose tackle. He's going to play on Sundays. He just eats blocks, eats blocks. He's an athletic freak, too. And then he frees up Peyton Wilson, at linebacker, who just makes a million tackles, led the ACC in tackles. They were fifth in the nation in tackles for loss, ninth in sacks per game. So it's, it's a really good pass rush. It's a really good pass rush. I mean, the defense overall is not great. But Kentucky has a really good offensive line. They can handle this front. And Kentucky's not really going to be passing. Now, it's worth noting that there's a new coordinator. Uh, big dog Vince Marrow is taking over play calling for Kentucky, who fired their offensive coordinator. But what this Kentucky team was, they have no passing game. Zero. None. Don't, I mean, I, maybe they try to throw it, but I doubt they do. So, like, the NC State pass was just kind of neutralized here. It's not going to matter. You can beat this NC State team with ground and pound, which is what Kentucky can do. In the three games NC State lost, it gave up an average of 276 rushing yards per game. Kentucky also has familiarity with seeing this defense. Mississippi State, 3-3-5, similar stack. They, they faced it this year. Tennessee Martin, I forget, someone they faced last year, an, F, uh, an FCS team, played a similar defense. So they have experience seeing it. They'll have extra time to prepare here. I think that they can have success on the ground. Um, and Kentucky's defense, kind of a bend-don't-break defense, they really kind of bow up in the red zone. They don't give up any explosive plays. And that's really how NC State makes their living. And it might look funny to see Kentucky two-and-a-half-point favorites here. I know my voicemail caller, the Dave Doran fan, isn't going to like this, but I'm kind of leaning towards the Cats here. What say you? Yeah, I like the Cats. I mean, I power rated, it, uh, you know, minus two-and-a-half, so I, I think there's not much value here on Kentucky, but I, I really like the under for a lot of things that you said that favor Kentucky, and, the, and that is limiting explosiveness. And that's the reason that we have backed Kentucky – in certain spots of the season is because of their defense. Offensively, they're extremely slow. Seconds per play, 118th in the nation. Uh, they can control the trench. Uh, they're top 20 in rushing success rate on offense. So, you know, and they run the ball 63% of the time. So this is a team that can assert their will on the ground on the offensive side at a very slow pace. And then defensively, they're top 25 in tackling. They're 19th against rush explosiveness. They're eighth against pass explosiveness. They're going to be able to shut down anything the Wolfpack wants to do down the field. Now, Kentucky doesn't take the ball away from you, so I'm not expecting them to come up with a bunch of turnovers, creating quick scoring opportunities like we've seen out of some of these other bowls. But I think it's really important to note also that Kentucky has faced the eighth strongest strength of schedule this season and NC State 68. So I think it's a, you know, even though we put these numbers up against each other and the numbers say that Kentucky's defense is going to shut down NC State, consider the numbers that Kentucky put together were against SEC play. So I like Kentucky in this game. I think the 50 should be closer to around 47. Uh, I like the under. We'll see how much more it floats. Uh, but, but yeah, definitely here going, going with SEC over NC State. And NC State's kind of been smoking mirrors all season. Completely agree. If you don't bet on a bowl, it's a bowl even exist all right let's move on to another sec team we got to talk some lane train 12 30 eastern on abc uh the outback bowl that's a restaurant that you loved as a kid and then you get older and you're like eh. i don't need um, all, i don't need all this bread and fried fried blooming onion i do love i mean the blooming onion yeah if you put the blooming onion in front of me i'll fuck with it but the i love their guilty pleasure their Aussie cheese fries. Oh, I, I remember reading one time they were like, it was like the unhealthiest foods in the world. 
from like chain restaurants. And that, that was like the Aussie cheese fries were like four trillion calories. Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. All right, but it's the Outback Bowl, Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. We have Ole Miss, 1230 Eastern ABC. Ole Miss at BetMGM is a nine-point underdog against Indiana, over under 65 and a half. I mean, look, there's not much that I can really say about Ole Miss. It's it's pretty – they're pretty easy to describe. Their offense all year has been unbelievable through the air. Just an extremely efficient passing attack. But now they're without two of their best receiving receivers. They also had a couple other injuries to a few of their other skill possession players in their finale against LSU. But the offense has been really good. The defense has been so bad, it's 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 almost hard to explain how bad this defense has been for a bowl team. I mean, this has to be the worst – bowl defense we've ever seen like if you go down the list of of like metrics you're seeing Ole Miss sometimes in like the bottom five those teams don't usually make a bowl so their defense is horrendous they go really fast but they're not a full strength on offense now Indiana they've their offense has been really bad they've been fortunate in turnovers I believe they've been out gained on the year but it's it's been a good year for Indiana their defense has been Okay, but there's flaws on this team. This is a really hard game for me to cap. Ole Miss, their offense is—it's just not. It's still not a full strength. They were still able to move it against LSU, but the defense is just so bad. I don't know if I can trust them. But is Indiana the team to exploit it? Help me, help me out here on this game. It's a tricky one. Yeah, it is because Lane Kiffin has said every single day that we are going to have a real problem making this bowl game because of the number of COVID issues that we're having, and that's just you know flashing red lights to me that. I don't care what this number is. If it's seven, if it's eight, if it's nine, how can I back Ole Miss up when I know Elijah Moore is not going to play? I know their tight end is not going to play. I don't know what they're going to put on. And those the- are the two top receivers. Yeah, two top receivers. I don't know what they're going to put on the field. And Stuck's right. Everything on the defensive side is blood red. Uh, some of the worst numbers. I mean, almost dead last in defensive finishing drives. You look at Indiana, powered by their defense the entire season. There was really you know, some luck and some field position that – I'm not going to say they are a lucky offense. I'm going to say that they had great field position. Uh, they came up big when they needed to on third downs. <laughs> I, I don't want to call them lucky because they're not. They were talented, uh, and they've been decent, you know, ever since the Ohio State game and getting points up on the board. Yeah, well, it's worth noting that, like, yeah. their, their quarterback now hasn't been their quarterback all year. And when you look at Tuttle, and when he showed up to play, he was just as efficient as, you know, in some parts as Michael Penix Jr., so he is capable of running the offense. So what that tells me is that when I have an Ole Miss defense that I know is terrible, and I'm not talking like just bad in the SEC, I'm talking bad as like on a UMass level, and I have an Indiana offense that is capable, then I don't want to mess with the full game total, which is falling in the market, and I don't want to mess with an inflated spread. I want an Indiana team total over. I feel confident that they're going to get enough possessions. I feel confident they're going to move the ball on this Ole Miss offense. And because Ole Miss is the third fastest tempo in the nation, we could be looking at 17 possessions here for Indiana. I think an Indiana team total over is a wiser play than taking a completely inflated spread. We have no clue how Ole Miss is coming into this game, who's going to be available other than they're missing their top two targets. For me, it's it's Hoosiers and points uh, and just isolate the bet on that and call it a day. Yeah, maybe you'll convince me to go there. After the college football playoff semifinal, though, for everyone wondering, I've been tweaking some home court. It's full speed ahead with college basketball uh, on a daily basis, so I will probably have a big card on Saturday. But, yeah, I mean, out of all the options, that might be the wisest one. 
full game fever. Catch it. All right, let's move on to the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, 4 p.m. Eastern Saturday on ESPN in State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Iowa State, Oregon at BetMGM, Iowa State, four and a half point favorite over under 57 and a half. Seeing, you know, look, I had a lot of questions about the Pac-12 this year. It was hard to figure out who teams were, you know, small sample size of games. They got a late start, and I think that these a lot of these teams were behind the eight ball kind of all season. And then seeing Colorado didn't, doesn't give me much faith in how the Pac-12 looks. The Oregon defense was pretty bad all year. The one thing that they did was – they didn't really give up explosive plays through the air, but that's not really what Iowa State does. Uh, Iowa State should be able to, from an efficiency standpoint, through the air with Brock Purdy and those tight ends, move the ball efficiently, and then Brees Hall on the ground should have a day against this Oregon defense that lost a lot. And the offense, it, they had some good numbers, uh, but let's look at the competition in the Pac-12 in the – Pac-12 championship against USC, they they wouldn't even throw it downfield. Uh, they wouldn't even trust Chuck to throw it downfield. And they're going up against a very good Iowa State defense. Um, it's hard. For, it's going to be hard for me not to back Brocktober here in this January. Brockuary. Uh, what do you see here? I'm taking Oregon in this game, and I'm taking the over. I did some research. Wow. I think, I, listen, I've been in a casino before. I've been gambling, and when I'm on house money – it just seems to keep rolling, you know? I mean, like, when you have – when you feel peeled of any pressure whatsoever, which Oregon arguably shouldn't have been in the Pac-12 championship game, but they didn't get a chance to face Washington. That, that game with Washington was going to determine who played USC. They get the the bye into the Pac-12 championship. They win the Pac-12 championship, and now they're in the Fiesta Bowl. They're on house money. Crystal Ball, Joe Moorhead – uh, you know, Andy Avalos, who's being uh, pressured by Boise to come back and be the head coach there. These three head coaches should be commended for the way that they finished the season. Now, if you look at this schematically, Iowa State, and really I, I just kind of did this in some of my research for the Big 12 championship, it really came up here. How they have gotten better, especially on the offensive side of the ball this year, where it's not just been take Brock Purdy in October. It's, you know, it's been Iowa State. You can trust them all year round is that they have thrown in so much more 13 personnel. And if you're not familiar with what that is, that's a three tight end set. And the reason why they did that is because Brock Purdy is one of the worst quarterbacks in the nation with pressure. He turns the ball over. He's inaccurate. He's just not the same. But when he has a clean pocket and he has a good look, the kid's amazing. And so they started running. Last year, I think they ran somewhere around 5% of plays were in the 13 formation. This year, 25%. 25% of plays were with a three tight end formation and they're using a lot of pre-snap motion. Uh, it has given him extra time. It's giving him extra blockers. And if you look at this Oregon defense, I don't think they're right there yet to be able to stop anybody. The only thing on this Oregon defense that is a constant is Kayvon Thibodeau. Thibodeau is one of the most menacing pass rushers in college football right now. I know that Oregon's sack rate is 94th in the country, but Thibodeau is a, is a legit monster. I think he's going to get some pressure on Brock Purdy, but at the same time, Purdy's releasing the ball a lot faster. The three tight end set has been real helpful for him to get points on the board. I love the over in this game. 
Joe Moorhead, what he's been able to do with a completely clean slate. This was the lowest returning production in all of college football this year. Moorhead steps in a completely different scheme from Marcus Arroyo. Completely different. What he's been able to do and get Tyler Shug, you know, connecting their top 10 and and rushing success rate, top set, you know, top 20 in passing success rate, top 20 in explosiveness. And that's where the handicap in this game comes because Iowa State is 111th in defending pass explosiveness and Oregon is 16th at getting it down the field. You better bet that Joe Moorhead is going to have Tyler Shug throwing this ball over that back five of the 3-3-5. I think this game has explosive plays written all over it. And Thibodeau is going to get his shots in on Brock Purdy. I love Oregon in this game. I think there's a ton of points. I'm going to disagree with you here. We've been on the same page pretty much. But, I mean, Oregon's defense, I don't see how they get any stops. Uh, I mean, Thibodeau has to have, like, 12 sacks. They're, this defense is really bad. Now, not, not, not all of it was their fault. They had a bunch of opt-outs of pros on, on the back end. But, I mean, Oregon's – you say, and, and you're right, with their past explosive numbers, but they played Washington State, UCLA, Oregon State, Cal, USC, and they couldn't even throw it against USC. So I don't necessarily think that, you know, it might be kind of fraudulent numbers based on the competition because Iowa State is clearly the best defense they've faced all year. So I'm not fully sold on Chuck yet. Uh, and Iowa State's obviously going up against good offenses in the Big 12. If you think Texas is getting the national championship publicity, you wait till Andy Avalos tells Boise State, no thanks, I'm staying at Oregon, and Oregon returns every single player on both sides of the ball. I can't believe I'm even saying this, but uh, I'm exactly where I was 12 months ago when you and I were in the Westgate. I, I am looking for Oregon futures going into 2021. Yeah, well, I had an Oregon futures, so, but uh, then everyone opted out. Um, I also have accidental Oregon State futures. All right. I, I probably will end up on Purdy somehow, uh, but I'll, I'll dig into it. You make some good points. Aren't you like 5-0 and o against me in bowls, I think? You got me pretty good. Let's see. I was on – I had Marshall. I think you had Buffalo, right? Yep. Yeah, we were both on Meet Meet. You had, did you have Houston? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had Hawaii. Did you have Tulane? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I had Nevada. Um, <laughs> all right. So we we oh, got we got a while to go. Wait, but we both on we're both on Oklahoma we're both on Oklahoma tonight, right? Yep. Oh yeah, big time. Miss State, we're both on Miss State. Yep, yep, both on Miss State. We're, we're you're new, uh, Ball you're State. No, no, I can't trust that offensive line. Nope. Army. No, nah, I took West Virginia there. I know you're wow. on. Wow, yeah. you're going against the service academy to ball. That's another L for no. you. Cincy. I, I haven't made a play on the app. I mean, I know I'm taking the over and, and uh, you know. You're not taking Georgia. No, I'm not right? taking Georgia. Okay. Well, yeah, and I haven't made any plays on Saturday. But we agree on Kentucky. Mm-hmm. It looks like we just don't disagree on Iowa State. So, yeah, it looks like our next up is West Virginia, West Virginia Army. Well, you yeah, better hope West you Virginia. Just, you're going to sweep me in disagreements. I, this can't happen, so. All right. Well, so we got some more – maybe some more disagreements coming up. But the, we have to get to one last game on Saturday – before we get to the college football playoff, the Capital One Orange Bowl, Texas A&M, North Carolina at BetMGM. Texas A&M is a six-and-a-half-point favorite, over under 65-and-a-half. It's a Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. You know, when you first – when you talk about this game, you have to mention the North Carolina opt-outs, their leading receiver, one of their top backs of the two-headed monster, Michael Carter, he's out, one of their best defenders. Surratt, he's out. So they have some really key opt-outs. 
going against the Texas A&M team. You could argue that they want to come out here under Jimbo and show everyone, look, we deserve to be in the college football playoff. You also could argue they thought that they should be in the college football playoff, and they're not, and they're now playing in the Orange Bowl. It's primetime Saturday night, but against the North Carolina team with a bunch of pop-downs, and maybe they come out flat. I don't know. I don't think there's a great motivational angle here, but I do think when you look at Texas A&M's offense, pretty easy to explain. Very good offensive line can run the ball as well as any team in the country. Very efficient passing attack, extremely efficient on third downs, no explosiveness in this offense. But if you want to move it on the ground and control the line of scrimmage, against North Carolina, Texas, you can do that. And Texas A&M certainly has the personnel to do that. The strength of North Carolina's defense is getting to the quarterback. That The strength of Texas A&M's offense is protecting the quarterback. They get rid of the ball quick, run heavy attack. Uh, on the other side of the ball, look, Texas A&M's defense has been very good. They're a little vulnerable on the back end. We saw that against Alabama to big explosive passing plays, but North Carolina's not going to have Brown. North Carolina offense has obviously been excellent. I mean, North Carolina, the opt-outs are pretty extreme. This is a team that had one of the best, maybe one of the best running back duos in ACC history. I don't know. I just threw that out there. I have to really think about it. But they both, Carter Williams both ran for over 1,000 yards. Carter averaged eight yards per carry. Williams averaged 7.3 at 19 touchdowns rushing. And their third leading rusher was Sam Howell with 121 yards. So they're missing their top two backs. They're also missing their top receiver, Brown, who caught, he went over 1,000 yards. Um, Newsom was next with 616. And then guess who was third? Williams, their running back. So with 305, he was even a threat out of the backfield. So this North Carolina offense has really took a hit from an opt-out perspective. They also lost one of their best defenders. How do you see this playing out? Yeah, I mean, when you lose your top two running backs who were the lion's share, and I'm not even talking lion. I mean, you're stuck say Howell's the third leading rusher. That's the quarterback. North Carolina runs the ball 58% of the time. And when you wipe out those two running backs, are you really going to turn around and hand the ball off to a bunch of unprovens on the team? And I think the answer is no, especially when you have Sam Howell's arm. Now, I know that De'Ami Brown is out, but Daz Newsom is still there. And so I think this is going to be a very pass-heavy attack from North Carolina, which makes me want to take the over here. I know Texas A&M is 123rd in seconds per play. They are a snail. They're one of the slowest most grinding teams to watch all season. But think about their defense in the 4-2-5 and what Mike Elko runs. The, you know, the middle line, the, the linebackers for them are, you know, I've said this before, these are run stoppers. They are good at filling gaps. They're terrible in pass defense. Their coverage grades are some of the worst in the SEC. So I think North Carolina is going to see that and they're going to attack over the middle and they're going to attack deep. I think Daz Newsom is going to have a big day. Uh, Sam Howell should be all throwing first, second down. Uh, I can't see any reason why North Carolina is going to run the ball. I do like the Tar Heels with the hook at seven. It becomes questionable with the opt-outs that they've had. You know, A&M, not the game that they wanted to be in, but it is a New Year's Six for Jimbo. Uh, he's going to show up. You know, Kellen Mond, they're gonna, they have one of the highest success rates in offenses in the country, 10th in rushing success rate, 14th in passing success rate. They can't, they have no explosiveness whatsoever. They're, they're just never, Texas A&M is a program. You're never going to be able to figure it out until you find guys that can do what Texas did in their bowl, which is get it down the field in 70 yards in one or two plays. And until Texas A&M figures that out, you're just not going to bust it into the college football playoff. 
So I, I do like North Carolina in the spot because I think it's going to be a heavy passing attack. And that is going to be able to take advantage of what is a soft coverage grade in the middle of the A&M defense against that 425 that Elko runs. Uh, so I like North Carolina with the hook, uh, but I'm more than likely I'm going to be on the over in this game. Yeah, only thing, only concern there with the Texas A&M over in a big number. Like, look, the North Carolina defense isn't great, but a Texas A&M total with 65 and a half, the, what you have to worry about, number one, Texas A&M is a snail. Now, I think that they'll be efficient. They'll be able to efficiently move the ball up and down the field on the ground with spilling that offensive line and then Mon and the short passing attack. But it's going to take some time. But the, the real fear here, look, thinking back to Auburn against Northwestern, maybe – Auburn changes things up because Gus Malzahn is traditionally very conservative. So maybe Auburn goes for more fourth downs, but uh, Jimbo Fisher is a very conservative coach. So if it's, you know, fourth and one at the one, he's going to kick a, he'll kick a field goal. If it's fourth and one at the 40, he'll punt it. So that's the only thing you have to be concerned about. Hopefully he knows he's playing a high powered offensive attack and it's a bowl game, not the cutthroat playoff or, you know, meaningful game in the regular season. And he'll be a little looser in the ball, but that's something just to keep in mind. The NFL season is upon us and our friends at BetMGM Sports are offering Action Network podcast listeners a great sign-up offer. Just make your first deposit using the bonus code ACTIONPOD and receive a 100% deposit match up to $500. They've got parlay bonus payouts, live betting markets, daily odds boosts, all sorts of great stuff. So download the BetMGM app today or visit BetMGM.com to sign up and use the code ACTIONPOD to double your bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. As a reminder, you must be 21 or older and physically located in the great states of Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promo offer not available in Nevada. And now, back to the show. Let's move on to why most of you are probably here, and that's the college football playoff. Breaking news, guys. We have, like, it's 2020. Things are really weird. Nothing is normal. Everything is strange. So, wait, never mind. No, the college football playoff, it's the same teams we always have in here. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, uh, and Notre Dame. Uh, it's kind of your, your wild card, your fourth one. I Look, I just want to get this out here right now. It's, we're going to start with Alabama, Notre Dame. At BetMGM, Alabama is a 20-point favorite, over under 65 and a half. And we're going to get to Ohio State, Clemson next. I Look, Bama Clemson has been fun, but I I don't know. I think I want to see something different. I'm going to love it if it's Alabama Clemson, but I'm kind of getting sick of it. Anyway, <laughs> just throwing that out there. And that's the and that's clearly the favorite the the odds on favorite matchup that we get. But let's start with the first semifinal. Alabama 20 point favorite, over under 65 and a half. But look, I make this game right around two touchdowns. So there's value in Notre Dame just from a pure numbers perspective. And you might be saying value in Notre Dame wants to Notre Dame. I mean, look, this is the college football playoff. It's the four best teams. And I have Alabama as a two-touchdown favorite. That's like there's a big difference between these two teams on a neutral field. It's, but it's, it's hard for me to make a real case for Notre Dame. One of Alabama's best offensive linemen is out. That Maybe that helps them. Notre Dame's defensive front is really good. It's really stout, really strong. We said – all year that there were some questions on the back end of that Notre Dame secondary. And then they kind of sucked me into that North Carolina game. I still don't know how they just completely shut down North Carolina that entire game. But then 
we saw some signs of cracks against Clemson with their backup quarterback, and then Clemson really exploited it in the ACC championship. So it's really hard for me to see how Clark Lee and company are going to come up with a game plan to slow down this Alabama uh, attack, which is just uh, amazing. All over the place. Devontae Smith is unreal. Can't even quote words to describe how good he's been. And Mac Jones has been unbelievable. The offensive line is great. The whole offense is record-setting. On the other side of the ball, Bama's, you know, secondary. We knew about Sertain has been better than advertised, I think. The defense has been pretty good. But it's just that you have to keep up with them. They're going to get a couple stops, and then no one can stop them. And I'm curious to see how you think this game plays out. Ian Book's going to have to use his legs a lot. Bama likes to play man coverage, and they can be susceptible at times to running quarterback. Book's going to have to use his legs. I think that Notre Dame's game plan here has to be, let's rewind to the beginning of the year when Notre Dame was just grinding, like just clock speeding, running it 80% of the time, shortening games. That's just because they didn't want to show anything. That's what they're going to have to do here. They're going to have to sustain drives, keep the ball out of Bama's hands, right? Run it a ton, try to have success on the ground and sustain long drives, right? I mean, that's, I think, their best hope here. Look, if Notre, I will say this. If Notre Dame gets a 21, I'm going to have to take them. Um, I can probably talk myself out of the value here just because I don't see a ton of advantages. But there's at 21, there'd be too much. And we could get there with public money. But And look, at 21, it's easy to see. You have a back, such an easy chance for a back door. Um, Florida was, what, catching uh, – I got them at 18. Didn't even need the back door. But at 21, you're down 24 late. Even down 28, you can get a touchdown for a push. 21 and a half, I'm definitely in on Notre Dame. 21, probably. I probably can't lay it with Bama here at 20. Just, I mean, I make the number closer to two touchdowns. I, I, I'm starting to, to look at the under just because of how I think, just because of how I think Notre Dame is going to approach this game. But playing it under with this Alabama offense that can just hit 80 yard touchdowns for fun uh, with one flick of the wrist from Mac Jones is, is scary. Uh, break this game down for us. I know you have a great write up on Action Network. Dot com and the Action Network app. Run wild with it. What do you say? Of all the pieces I wrote for Action Network this year, this was probably my most fun to write up. I thought Clemson and Ohio State would be the one that I would come up with some really good, you know, fact-finding nuggets, but it was actually this game, and I had no clue I was going to go this direction when I started my research, and by the time I got done with it, I was betting way more than I thought I would be, and the play on this game was to take the under. And the more research that I did here, I just I, I couldn't get over some of the things that I was seeing. Now, let's talk about college football playoff history. First off, if you like a team to win the game and they're the favorite, swallow the points. If you like a dog, you probably don't need the points. Consider the fact that Kyler Murray at Oklahoma against Alabama a couple of years ago was the first underdog in college football playoff history to finally cover the spread and not win the game where the point spread actually mattered. The point spread has never mattered in the college football playoff or the national championship until Oklahoma played Alabama a couple of years ago. You think back last year, LSU, no problem covering against Clemson. Clemson didn't need the points against Ohio State. The list just goes on and on. So here we are. This is the highest spread, though. This is the highest this, spread, right? This is the highest spread, and it is completely inflated. And if you get sucked into the thought of, I think it should be 14, which is where I'm at, if you get sucked into that thought, then you're going to get into, you know, uh, take lock. And it's just where I got with Clemson and LSU last year and never recognizing the fact that what LSU did last year was something that just couldn't be stopped. So we fast forward to this year and we talk about how great that, that LSU team was. Alabama's better. 
LSU's offense, powered by Joe Burrow, finished with an offensive success rate of 54.9%. That was for the entire season with Vanderbilt, with non-conference. Alabama, 11-game schedule. Oh, and by the way, Alabama didn't play Vanderbilt in South Carolina this year, right? Two teams that combined for, for what? Two wins? South Carolina's wins? Alabama, 55.3% offensive success rate. That eclipses LSU from last season. What Alabama has done this year has been nothing short of amazing. So when you say, is that number too high? Mathematically, yes. But we couldn't catch up to LSU, and now we can't catch up to Alabama. And I'm going to tell you what. If I had a barometer up your ass to say whether you were giving effort or not, it was about 50%. Why did you push yourself? And the thing is, is like even Sagarin, like even if you go to Sagarin, they have their own ratings and everything. Jeff Sagarin, USA Today. They have a recency poll, like which is based upon as a heavyweight towards your last couple of games. They still make this game like 16. So nobody makes it as high as this. And the question is, is, you know, what are we going to do about Alabama? Now, there's lots of things to dive into with this. And I think the thing that we need to pay attention to is Pete Goulding and Nick Saban had a press had a presser earlier this week. And they talked about how they had a come to Jesus meeting, which is a great term. I love to use that with my sons. I said, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting, boys. Uh, they had a come to Jesus meeting after the Ole Miss game. Ole Miss, 21 missed tackles in that game. Alabama has been fantastic since. Only one time have they missed more than eight tackles since that Ole Miss game. The defense has been on point. They've been shutting people down. And more importantly, I mean, Patrick Sertain is going to be able to assert himself here. Uh, and really Malachi Moore should be going to get a shout out here at cornerback. He is ranked, I believe, in, yep, ranked in the top 20 in PFF slot coverage. So whatever Notre Dame decides to try to throw over the middle. is Notre Dame has got great weapons on the outside. Like they don't have right. a play pool. And- uh, that, that formula they used to attack Clemson in the middle in that first game of the season was to go over the middle where Skowski was, wasn't there. Uh, that's not going to work against Alabama. It's not going to work whatsoever. So I don't see Notre Dame having any success running the ball. I don't have Notre Dame have any success passing the ball. And you're right. If they're going to get any yardage whatsoever, it's because Ian Book decides to take off on his own. So with that being said, you have to look and say, how did a 10-0 Notre Dame team go into the ACC championship and just get obliterated? Like they looked like a peewee squad, 34-10. to How does that even happen? And when you look in the box score, when I started digging into it, I thought to myself, well, obviously Trevor Lawrence just had big explosive plays, right? Wrong. They were blown away in standard downs and specifically on the rush by Travis Etienne. On standard downs, Clemson averaged nine yards per play. Travis Etienne averaged 12 12 and a half yards a carry, and he had around nine – he averaged nine yards after contact. We haven't seen that from Travis Etienne all year. And Clemson must have seen something on tape because Trevor Lawrence ran himself crazy in 2019. He ran with his legs all the time. We never saw that this year. Against Notre Dame, Trevor Lawrence took off, scoring touchdowns, outrunning the Notre Dame defense like it was no tomorrow. So Clemson saw something in Notre Dame to where they said, I think we can run on you. I think we can expose you. I think Sark's going to see the same thing. And I think Sark is going to try to do the same thing. So if you look at that game plan, what if we run Najee Harris? If we average nine yards per play on standard downs, first and second down, we'll always have short third downs and we'll always be have the big pass wide open 
for Mechie, for Devonta Smith, for Mac Jones, if you could get pressure on him, which it doesn't matter because Mac Jones has been cool as a cucumber under pressure. But I don't think it's going to come down to that. Notre Dame getting blown to pieces on standard downs is what the difference was, why Clemson was able to dominate them in the ACC championship. And so I think Sark, if I was Sark and I was the offensive coordinator, I would run the ball. I would run the hell out of Najee Harris. And if I could get nine yards per carry on first and second down, and I could limit how much I show in my playbook, if I can go completely vanilla in the passing game, saving it for a possible national championship, I would. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. So A, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be able to contribute to the total whatsoever. B, Clemson exposed Notre Dame for not being able to contain the rush. Now let's get to the third element in this game. Is there a track record that suggests that Saban may take his foot off the pedal? If you're LSU, you're going to get your ass run out of the building by Nick Saban. If you're Auburn, you're going to get your ass run out of the building by Nick Saban. But if you're Brian Kelly, you might have a pass. These two teams met in the 2013 national championship game. Anybody doesn't remember the history? I'll go ahead and brief you. Alabama, 28-0 to at halftime. Eddie Lacy, Eddie Lacy, Eddie Lacy. Over and over and over. Alabama dominated Notre Dame through the first half. What happened in the second half? Alabama ran 32 plays. 22 of them were rush. More Eddie Lacy. And what happened was is they scored 14 points apiece by both of them. And it was an extremely rush dominant second half by Nick Saban. He had no reason to run the score up after he got up 28 to zero going into half. I think Alabama is absolutely going to be up by three scores in the first half. I don't think Notre Dame is going to contribute any points. And then I think it's going to be all Najee Harris backup offensive line. We don't need any more injuries on the offensive line. I I think it's going to be not as an exciting of a game as people are going to think. I think once Alabama gets a three possession lead, Saban knows he can sit on it because this Notre Dame offense has no chance of catching up. No chance. Under is the play. Absolutely taking under in this game. Uh, I'm not going to mess with the point spread, but I will throw history in and say, College football playoff teams that are dogs, they don't need the points. College football playoff teams that are favorites, they're covering no problem. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, I think, can stop the run if they completely sell out to do so, Mm -hmm. which you can't do against Alabama. Otherwise, you're going to get burnt over and over again. Do you think that – so from a total perspective, do you agree or disagree with my hypothesis that the only way that Notre Dame could stay in this game – is through book runs and then heavy runs and going very slow. And yeah. that might lend itself to an under. It's an under with Bama's petrifying, but is that the <laughs> side you would, is that the side you would lean in the total under? Yeah, under over? Absolutely under right here. And it's because once Saban gets a three possession lead, he knows that Ian book can't bring them back. They can't touch them. They can't get close. So yeah, sure. Sell out, bring eight up in the box because it's just going to take one flick of Mac Jones's wrist to add another score up on that scoreboard. I absolutely think with a national championship game yet to be played, and you and I are about to discuss who we think is going to win that game, I don't think they want to expose anything in the Mechie, Devonta Smith department. Uh, I think once they get a three-touchdown lead, maybe Najee Harris isn't running the ball. Maybe the second-string offensive line is back, so Leatherwood's healthy. We get to, you know, And by the way, Jalen Waddell isn't in this game. Even if he was available, I don't think he would play. Uh, so I'm telling you, this is a game where Nick Saban – wants to get a three-possession lead, and then sit on it, and Notre Dame's not going to be able to do anything. Maybe a backdoor at the end of the game. I'd be shocked if Brian Kelly was trying to make a statement in the fourth quarter down three touchdowns because of the mutual respect between these two. 
who have met before and did not run it up on each other. Well, but here's the last question on this game. If it gets to Notre Dame plus 21 and a half, would you take Notre Dame? No, I'm not. Ta- wow. I'm, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I, but I'm not going to play it either. Like, I, I shouldn't say I'm a proponent. If I had to pay, make a – okay, I think if you're asking, like, if I had to make a play in a pool, right, because I'm not, I'm not touching the spread. I think if Alabama wants to cover, they will. But I think at the same time, they're going to have a national championship game to think about. If I was in a pool, I absolutely would take Notre Dame because I go back to the mathematician part of it, the power rating part of it, the overinflate. When you get blown out of your ACC championship game and and Alabama gets done dominating Florida, of course you're going to have inflation in the market. From a mathematic perspective, you have to play Notre Dame. But for me personally, with my money and my investments, I just don't feel like lighting any of that shit on fire. So I'm not going to play the point spread here. All right, good stuff there. Let's move on to the second semifinal, Friday, January 1st, 2021. Ooh, ooh. Ohio State, Appenham Gym, 7.5 point underdog, over under 66.5 against Clemson. Look, we talked about Ohio State's potential struggles in the secondary ad nauseum this year. They lost three pros in the secondary. They really missed Jordan Fuller as that single high safety. I don't think our corners are – anywhere as close to as good as they were last year. Obviously, when you're replacing pros, you're replacing a generational pass rusher like Chase Young as well, who's dominating the NFL in his rookie year. So the defense has questions that maybe Clemson can exploit. Uh, But from a pure numbers perspective, and I was very comfortable playing this game because I I just know that I know the talent that is there. I know how well coached Ohio State is. They're getting more time now to work on some things. Uh, I know how great Justin Fields is and that, and that offense. So I make this line like between three and a half and four. So I grab seven and the hook right away. Big play for me. Now you have word that Tony Elliott is not going to be there for Clemson, which is, I'll let you speak to this more, but I think it's really important because one of the things that Clemson has had that Alabama hasn't had in the past few years is coordinator continuity. And for the first time in a while this year, they, didn't have that, sort of. They lost one of their co-offensive coordinators to South Florida, but they still had Tony Elliott. Well, now they won't have either for this semifinal. And Dabo, he stays away from scheme and this scheme and play calling stuff. So it's it's going to go down to the quarterback coach, I believe. He's been there for a while, but it's definitely a big change. Look, Clemson is the better team here. And by the way, getting over the hook, getting seven on the hook, if you're down 14 late and you need fields and company to go down and get you a score to get in the back door or you're down 10, you you can get that here. But I think there's too much value in Ohio State to pass up on. Give me the Buckeyes. Uh, I think this line's inflated. What say you? Yeah, the line is completely inflated. You know, when Ohio State is without Chris Olave and Justin Fields has, you know, to look at new targets, you know, and he got picked off a couple times, that tends to burn in people's memory. And when Clemson makes Notre Dame look like they should be joining the Mac, uh, that tends to burn an image in people's minds too. And so this number was and is shocking to me. It's something that I made, I think, three and a half or four. So seven and a half to me is a gift. I've hit it twice. I hit it again today on the Action app after the notes about Tony Elliott. You think that's a big deal, Elliott? Oh, I think it's a monster deal. I think it's a monster deal that Tony Elliott is not calling this game. Let's take a look at the history here. Jeff Scott, Tony Elliott, co-coordinators, one in the booth, one in the field, both in the booth. That's all it's been since Chad Morris left to go to SMU is Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott. Now, I know the quarterback is going to be making 
is going to be making the play calling, right? And maybe he could do that on a script. But guess what? What's going to happen at halftime when you need to make adjustments? What's going to happen after one or two drives when Ohio State's got you figured out? It's not like Ohio State is not capable or has the same level of talent to be able to hang with you. And by the way, there's a precedence that's already been set here. Jeff Brom got COVID, couldn't coach Purdue. Brian Brom, his brother, never called a play in his life, assumed roles and called plays. Brom was not allowed to have a Zoom meeting, a phone call. He wasn't allowed to have any contact with the team during halftime to make any kind of adjustments whatsoever. So this quarterback coach, who's never called a play in his life, in a program where Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott have been in complete control forever, that's a problem, especially in the second half. So if you don't want to touch Ohio State until the second half, that's understandable. But that is a serious, serious issue. And I'm still shocked as you and I are recording. I mean, the news is only a couple hours old. But, I mean, this is, to me, this is a really big deal. Now, if you want to get also into Also live, if you get clubs against the ball, first scores a touchdown, it should be a high-scoring game. Um, then yeah. you can jump in on Ohio State, too, then. Yeah, crazy note, though. Clemson is Clemson was the champions of the world the last five or six years in middle eight. And this year, they've been very pedestrian, vanilla, middle of the FBS. Very, very strange. And I wonder how much of that is Jeff Scott or how much of that is Dabo. Uh, interesting going on with the middle eight that this is one of the years that they're not tops in the nation. There's no eight, by the way, for those not familiar, last four of the first half, first four of the second half. Yeah, and got to clarify that because I know I put that out on Twitter and people are like, what the hell are you talking about? The middle eight is to – be honest with you, this is something I picked up from Belichick years ago. Belichick managed the clock all the time to make sure he had back-to-back possessions. Coin toss, sure, I'll give you the ball. And then as a live better, if you know you're getting two possessions in a row, it's a huge, huge deal for making a decision when, when you want to bet live. So middle eight is the point differential of the last four minutes of the second quarter, the first four minutes of the third quarter, and it can present a very nice opportunity for live betting. So middle eight's a really big deal and something that Clemson had mastered for years years and this year they're kind of running middle of the pack as far as you break down this game i mean there's no love loss between these two teams this is a true rivalry from 11th, 11th. Dabo ranked yeah. ohio state 11th yeah uh, Dabo, who did not like urban meyer whatsoever and uh shut him out of a college football playoff semifinal before decided to rank ohio state 11th in the coaches poll uh, listen there's a lot of talk about Ohio State, about do they deserve to be here? Did they play enough games? The one thing you're going to hear, you're not going to hear a slight on Ohio State as if they have the talent or if they don't have the players to beat. They absolutely have the pedigree and the talent to be in the college football playoff, but everybody's undermining all of that by saying, well, you just haven't played enough games. Well, I've seen enough games out of Texas A&M and know that they don't belong. Ohio State absolutely, from a success rate and explosiveness standpoint on the offensive side of the ball, has a completely legitimate statement to being here in this position. It's not their fault Michigan got COVID. It's not their fault Penn State sucks. It's not their fault. Uh, so, you know, uh, when you get past that, Dabo ranking them 11th is just something that Ryan Day has got – another thing that Ryan Day has got to deal with. And Ryan Day has been dealing with this whole Clemson bullshit for years. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Ryan Day was the OC at Boston College. And there was an interview that came out on Yahoo about Brett, Brett Venable stealing signs. And it's been a problem forever that Brett Venables has a team of analysts that steal signs offensively. And what you'll notice about the Clemson defenses is they all stand there and stare at Brett Venables and they get a last and they stare at Brett, the DC and he'll give some sort of signal and they'll line up and boom, 
magically Clemson knows exactly where the ball is going to go. Huge advantage for Clemson all these years. In the games where Clemson has struggled, you will notice that it's been because of up-tempo or sugar huddle. Now, if you're not familiar with what a sugar huddle is, it's, uh, you know, quarterback comes into the huddle, he calls a play, the center leaves the huddle, the guards and the tackles leave the huddle, (laughs) the wide receivers then leave the huddle. It's like a cascaded event to get everybody out of the huddle and get them up to the line to kind of show a formation. That keeps Brett Venables guessing. And Ryan Day has been very clear that them stealing signs, they had to adjust for it last year in the Fiesta Bowl because everything was being stolen from them. So you're going to see a lot of sugar huddle out of Ohio State. You're going to see some up-tempo. You're going to see them change things up offensively so they can take advantage of the Clemson defense. And I absolutely, Ryan Day has got enough experience here with Brett Venables that I think he's going to be successful. And let's be honest, Ohio State had a 60% post-game win expectancy last year. I know it's different players, but that Fiesta Bowl turf was slippery as hell. And it benefited Clemson the whole way. And Ohio, Justin Fields was right there to score the game-winning touchdown. And, you know, it, you know, Clemson pulled it off. Different track, different team, different players. But Ryan Day is completely prepared to put up with Brett Venables in this game. So I think when you look at it, you know, Ohio State is second in line yards. They're top 25 in defensive havoc. They have what it takes. I know those numbers came on a short schedule. I know they came up against a Big Ten, not even the best of the Big Ten teams. But they have what it takes to handle this offense and they have what it takes to handle the defense. And I think that they're going to be highly successful here. And I think the other thing that we need to talk about is Trey Sermon. Now, how do you beat Clemson? I'll mention this in the article, uh, but I'll tell you guys here now, but if you go and read on the action network for this playoff preview, the way to beat Clemson is to beat them in standard downs. They are 94th in stand in defending standard downs explosiveness. Take a shot on first down. Take a shot on second down. It's when you will have your most success. Clemson will pound you in passing downs. They won't let you do anything. And I think Ryan Day is going to be able to go for the home run with Justin Fields. And if not, Trey Sermon, who just played the absolute game of his life against the Northwestern defense, 331 total yards, 17 avoided tackles in one game, 6.8 yards after contact. What Trey Sermon did against Northwestern is what, I was bitching to Stucky about back in the summer that I don't think these running backs have what it takes to get Ohio State to the finish line. Completely done a 180 on that. I think Ohio State has the explosiveness. They're going to do it early. They're going to sugar huddle and up-tempo their way around Brett Venables. It's a coin flip game. Either team could win. And I think plus seven and a half is a gift. I concur. You said it well. (laughs) Uh, Nothing else to add. Ohio State plus seven and a half. Grab the hook. We will have great content out on the Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. All right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. On first down here, we would normally, at some point, do our favorite underdog buddy line parlay. Kyle, you finished hot. Uh, We were going to do this, but um, there's only, what, eight total games between Friday and Saturday, and we both wanted Ohio State. So you can't, unfortunately, you can't parlay Ohio State money line with Ohio State money line. But yeah, Ohio State would have been the choice. Uh, second down here, we'll go quickly. Predictions. We won't, we won't necessarily go with national champion, but we'll go with winners of this game. Uh, I am clearly going with Q, the Notre Dame fight song. 
Kidding, I can't even say it with a straight face. Alabama, maybe this is me just wanting something new. Alabama against Ohio State. I can't say that I disagree with you. It's going to be Alabama, Ohio State, and I'm going to come up with a prediction of four and a half to be the opener. Wow. I'm going to say it would open higher. I think it would open it at if I mean we have to remember that if Alabama beats Notre Dame, eh, who cares? I mean, how much more of a bump are they going to get? They're twenty point favorites. But if Ohio State, in fairness, too, if Ohio State beats Clemson, they're going to get a big bump in the you know in people's power ratings in market perception. So uh, I still think it would be around a touchdown. But hopefully, we're able to see if that comes to fruition. Uh, we can test our predictions. Uh, we're all Ohio State fans this weekend. And uh, third down, we have a little something a little different this week. I want to, again, voicemail. Don't forget about the voicemail this weekend. You can do it during college basketball, during NFL playoffs too as well. Uh, thanks to everyone for calling in to the voicemail hotline this season. It's one of my favorite parts of uh, our Monday episode. And uh, here are some of our favorite voicemails. And by the way, we'll share more during our national championship preview episode next week and get out some awards. If you hear your voice at any time in this segment or the next one when we share our favorites, email our producer at podcast at actionnetwork.com and he'll send you a prize. You have reached the voicemail box of the Action Network Podcast. Leave a message after the bleep. Hey, do me a favor. Don't bleep this out. Jim Harbaugh is a motherfucker. That motherfucker. I've lost more money on that mother since the day he set foot in Michigan with his stupid mother khaki pants and glasses. That can't cover for I hope he doesn't even come out of the tunnel for the second half, this piece of Sucky Colin, let's talk about bad beat hell from above. The Southern Alabama defense to have four guys who weigh 1,500 pounds not be able to tackle. Why couldn't he just eat the guy? This is a disgrace. I'm going to take a bath. You kidding me, Bo Pelini? Get the f*** out of here. I opt out of the season. I will be the additional opt out for the LSU Tigers. I have to start off this call with a big you to Leach and the Mississippi State Bulldogs, giving up 160 yards on defense and lose by more than 20 points. Them. I really must love torturing myself because I threw in a play on UMass plus 31. It's like I hate money. This pathetic team. I can't believe this. Shit. I've got a freaking baby on me, so I can't yell. Lane Kiffin, take that last time out that you took with you at the end of the game and go f*** yourself with it. Are you guys serious? The San Jose State Air Force over? It's halftime. I'm 19 beers deep. And it's zero to zero? I don't listen to you guys for an hour and a half on Monday and then another hour and a half on Friday to f***ing tell all these dudes I'm partying with to hit this over yeah, I'm sorry, fellas. 19 beers deep. That's more points than we're scored tonight. You know what? F*** you, Brian Kelly, for going for it and trying to stick it to Georgia Tech even more. F*** you, Irish. Why don't you take a f***ing knee? Just such pieces of s***. You can't have a badass name. 
like Rocky Lombardi and play this bad. Oh, Rocky Top, you'll never be bet by me again. Oh, just another Saturday. Get off my couch and take a drive just to cool down. Appalachian State plus f***ing five. We're covering for 59 minutes. And he throws a f***ing pick six. Oh, my God. I don't know what else I need to do. I've picked up every piece of dog My dog has Like There's many times no one was looking. I could have left it. But for good karma, I picked it up. And it's supposed to be paying off, and it's not. Hey, what up, Bo Nix? After Jerry Gantano's gone, you're officially the worst f***ing quarterback in the NCC now. How the f*** does that feel, man? Every f***ing thing. I don't even want to bet anymore. My f***ing life is disgusting. I'm disgusted for my entire life. F***ing everything. I guarantee I will never watch a matching game again until next Tuesday. All right, that'll do it for us. Colin, I'm excited to go head-to-head with you on, it looks like your last chance is going to be West Virginia. Yep. Country roads. Take me home. Maybe Oregon. Maybe Oregon. I might be on Iowa State, so keep an eye out on the action of our cap. Uh, but we are both on the same page on a number of other games this weekend, including Leach. You know, I hope there's Bigfoot. I don't think there is. The reason I don't think there is, because we found bones of dinosaurs and everything else, but we haven't found bones that i've heard of of bigfoot most importantly ohio state let's get it done buckeyes and uh don't forget about the voicemail don't forget to subscribe unsubscribe subscribe tell a friend tell an enemy leave a review we're gonna be doing more giveaways on the monday episode good luck this weekend let's close bowl season strong we'll catch you all later happy new year cheers ohio peace out We're finished talking.